All right, did I hit my button? Am I coming through loud and clear? All right. Good morning, Redemption Flagstaff. Great to be with you guys. Thank you for uh, warming it up for me this weekend, since I am a valley sissy and uh, can't handle the cold very good. I'm actually a native. Anybody a native of Arizona here? Yeah. Oh, we should get something for that, shouldn't we? Like a free license plate or something for that. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be here, and uh, you've got a wonderful pastor. He loves Christ, and he loves you all, and he's passionate about that. That's one of the things that comes through with Anthony is uh, he's passionate. But, uh, but I do have to say I was sent here by Central to see if you know, we needed to cut him from the team or not, so he passed. So you'll get him for another year. I think I was here April for your installation, and so it's really fun that you would invite me back. I'm delighted to be here today. Yeah, we're in the, the Gospel of John, 18, these short verses. I really got off easy on this passage today, uh, the whole Barabbas story. So it's like Sesame Street. The word today is substitution. Uh, I'm a sub today for Anthony. Anybody here have to be a substitute teacher in middle school or high school? That's a painful experience if you've had to do that. Uh, if you have kids, uh, some of you, maybe you've had a kid that gets really sick and they're sad and they're crying and they're looking at you like, take this away, mommy or daddy, and you have that... I've heard parents say to me, if there was any way I could just take their place, you know, and take the suffering to be their substitute for that. Or, guys, as we watch our wives go through labor, we think if there was any way... No, that's a lousy illustration. We, we don't usually think we're not that brave. But the big idea today is that Jesus took the place I deserved on that cross. And that's a powerful, life-changing truth. So today, we're not going to have a study that will tell you five ways to be a better friend or uh, three clues to deal with that cranky kid. This is, uh, this is just good truth that if you dare to believe it and uh, appropriate it into your thinking and your walk with Christ, it, it's liberating. It's that kind of truth. Uh, it has all been put on him, dear one, all of it, all that you... Uh, had coming for your sin and disobedience, for your apathy and meanness, for your cruelty and selfishness, for your greed and your lust, all of it. He took the full brunt of it. Is that incredible? So you never will be held accountable for your sin. There is now no, zero condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He took your place. You've been in a, this great, beautiful Gospel of John. It's really one of my favorites. And I want us to be clear as we come to this place where Jesus is going to be moving toward the cross. Uh, we're in chapter uh, 18. Can you peek back at chapter 18, verse 4? Jesus, 18:4, Knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, who do you seek? So he's about to be arrested, knowing all the things that were coming. And uh, he'll say it, he said it too in, uh, in John 10, 18, remember those powerful words. He said, no one takes my life from me. I'm the good shepherd, and what? I lay down my life for my sheep. So Jesus, this is not a a tragic story of an innocent man being wrongly accused and executed for crimes that were not his. 
This is a, a powerful picture of the sovereignty of God and Jesus submitting to it in courage and faith because he was coming for you. He was coming for you. I actually used uh, a bad illustration, and I'm going to share it with you so I can confess it. So if you hear it sometime, you can say, you know, that's not a good illustration. Uh, maybe you've heard the one of the, the guy who uh, controlled the bridge that went over uh, the train, the train bridge over a great chasm, and he took his little son with him to work. Anybody know this terrible illustration? But it always gets an emotional response. I think I used it as a youth pastor, but I've grown up from that. But, uh. So the story is that he took his son to the bridge, and uh, as he saw a train coming and was ready to pull the lever, he saw that his little boy was down in the gears. Horrific illustration, I'm sorry. And so he has to make this decision. Do I not uh, put the bridge down and the train crashes and all those people fall to their death? Or do I lower the bridge and sacrifice my son? So it's one of those stories that emotionally pulls and gets people thinking about what Christ gave up. But what's so wrong about it is that that child was innocently caught in the gears. And that's not what's happening here, is it? Jesus has settled the issue, particularly in Gethsemane, as he wrestled. He said to the Father, uh, Father, if there's any way this cup can be taken from me, would you take it? Uh, and then he settled the issue in his own heart, not my will but yours be done. Interesting that we all have those moments in our own life. I'm so glad that we see the humanity of Jesus with his divinity, don't you, in the Gospels? That he wrestled with the will of God. And you and I wrestle with the will of God at times. You have to say, really, Lord, is this, is this the cup I have to drink? Is this the road I have to walk? And uh, he's with us as we work through that place where we can finally say like Jesus, all right, not my will, but yours be done. You might even be in that place right now. There might be something going on in your life right now that you're really having a hard time with and saying, God, why, why am I in this? Why am I going through this? So this morning might be a place where you and the Holy Spirit can just say, all right, Lord, not my will, yours be done. The other beautiful thing I love about this, what we call the passion of Jesus, as he goes through uh, these last days toward the cross, is that it appears, if you were just watching from the outside, it appears that Jesus has helplessly silently submitted himself to cruel hands and that men are going to have their way with him and they're going to do with him whatever they want and he's the victim but we know that all of this is under the sovereign plan of god i mean we can go back to the book of isaiah somewhat 400 years before these events even took place and we read isaiah 53 where it says he was pierced through for our transgressions and talks about them uh mocking him. Uh, Psalm 22 talks about uh, them throwing dice for his clothes. So, I mean, all this is prophesied. And what gives me comfort is that that's also what's happening in your life and my life. The assurance of that is Romans 8, 28, isn't it? Where Paul says, you know, all things, not just some things, most things, but all things are being worked together for good. Good being what's best for you and what gives God glory. That's good. 
So Romans 8.28, all things are being worked together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's the only caveat. This is a promise for those who love God. I, I don't know the, the next door neighbor that has no interest in Christ. I can't give him any confidence that there's a, a sovereign hand working things out for good in his life. But if you love Christ, you, you rest in that peace. And, and the whole passion of Christ is, is just such a powerful, stark illustration of Men doing what they want, Pilate, Herod, the soldiers spitting on him, flogging him, making fun of him, the crowd yelling, crucify him. It just seems like the worst of humanity on full display. And all the time, the powerful wheels of the sovereign purposes of God are being accomplished. Jesus, you know, lets some of that out like in, when they go to the Mount of Olives to arrest him. And they go... He says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, well, I'm he. Remember that? And somehow the veil of his divinity got pulled back and it knocked the soldiers to the ground. It's as if he was just reminding them, uh, I'm only letting you do this because it's the plan of the Father. So be encouraged. God's working in your life sovereignly as he worked in the life of his son. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so has he loved you. All right, let's, let's talk about our main character today. You with me? Chapter 18, verse 38. Pilate says, what is truth? That great line, what is truth? Uh, he's very aware now, I'm sure. But, uh, when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I don't find any guilt in this man, but you have a custom that I release someone uh, for you at the Passover, who do you w wish then that I release for you? The king of the Jews? And they cried out, no, not this man, release Barabbas. And then John just records now, Barabbas was a robber. Uh, Anthony and I was wondering about this. Why, why does John just say he's a robber? Uh, the other gospels tell us he was an insurrectionist. That's a popular word right now. In, in our culture. In other words, he was uh, working for the overthrow of the Roman government, and some people would think of him as a hero for that. And uh, Mark and Luke tell us that he actually killed someone in the act of his insurrection and was arrested for that. So he deserves execution. He's, he's a robber, indeed. He's an insurrectionist against Rome, and he's a murderer. So this guy has guilt all over him. Uh, and though he's not a good man, there would be some that might look at him kind of like a Robin Hood, a folk hero that was trying to fight the Romans because the Jews are not enjoying living under the boot of the Romans' government and leadership. So interesting character, Barabbas is the one that they say, release him. To get uh, more background to this, this story, and this was uh, Anthony's suggestion. By the way, I don't know if you know, but every week, all the redemption pastors, whoever is preaching uh, 10 days away, we meet Wednesday down in Gilbert at the Redemption Gilbert Church, or they Zoom in, like Anthony frequently will Zoom in, and we share our questions and our work on the sermon. And uh, he, he got captured by Pilate. I don't know if he had a chance to preach much about Pilate yet today. But uh, he's the one that said, you ought to look at uh, Matthew 27. Can you do that with me? Thank you, because uh, maybe Anthony walked you through some of this. But 
Just this, this interesting background. So uh, Matthew 27, verse 15. Now it's the feast. The governor was accustomed to release for the people a prisoner. This is Matthew 27, 15. And at that time they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So the people gathered. Pilate said, who do you want me to release, Barabbas or Jesus, who you call Christ? And this was interesting insight from Matthew, for he knew because of envy they had handed him over. In other words, he knew that the leadership of the Jews uh, were jealous of the popularity and the devotion that Jesus was drawing, and that, that's why they wanted him. Pilate saw right through their motivation. Uh, he was not easily conned. That's why he struggles with Jesus. He's expecting Jesus to be some kind of con man, you know, making himself out as a king when he really wasn't, and he doesn't see any of that. And so Jesus' integrity is really throwing Pilate off his game, but he's not fooled by the Jewish leadership. Who do you want? And while he was seen at the judgment seat, verse 19, his wife comes. Isn't this interesting? His wife comes and says, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. Let this guy go right now. Get out from under this because he made me suffer greatly in a dream last night. wonder what that was. What, what did God reveal to Pilate's wife? Or was it, was it the evil one harassing her about what, uh, who it was that her husband was about to execute? Because we know God doesn't want Pilate to not sentence Jesus. Uh, fascinating consideration. Don't have anything to do with this man. But the elders and the priests uh, pressured Pilate, and so he did, all right, I'm going to give you Barabbas. They yell, crucify Jesus. He keeps saying, why? Verse 23, what evil has he done? They don't care. Crucify him. This is the same crowd that was hailing him on that triumphal entry when he came on the donkey into Jerusalem and singing uh, songs about the Messiah, Hosanna in the highest, praise to God. Now these folks have turned and are saying, I'll crucify him. He's a disappointment. He's not defeating Rome like we know the Messiah is supposed to do. Pilate says in verse 24, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. And all the people said, can you see this? Verse 25, all the people said, his blood shall be on us and our children. Ah, indeed, indeed it will. And ironically, when I come to faith in Jesus, that's exactly what I do. I come under the purifying work of his blood. I apply his blood to my life so that I am righteous in the eyes of the Father. So there's all these powerful contrasts going on that John and Matthew revealed to us, his blood will be on us. And they go take him out to crucify. Barabbas is released. We're back in John now. John 18. Barabbas is released. That's a great word. It's interesting that uh, there's two men whose crimes are public and known that experience release from Jesus in the, this last day. There's Barabbas. He's released. What did that feel like? What happened to Barabbas? Did he watch Jesus get crucified? Did he, did he kneel and pray and uh, become a follower of Jesus? 
Nothing's recorded in the New Testament. And then there's the guy on the cross, the thief on the cross, right? And there's two of them. And one is mocking Jesus, saying, well, if you're all you say you are, then get us all off of this terrible cross, if you're really the king of the Jews. But that other thief said, hey, we're here for what we've done. We deserve our judgment. This man's done nothing wrong. And then he says to Jesus, as he's hanging there on the cross, when you, Master, Rabbi, when, when you go into your kingdom, would you remember me? It's kind of an audacious request, right? Some of us would have said, well, I don't know. Let's, let me take it to the elders. We'll vote on this. Uh, you know, you, you've got a pretty bad track record. Or some denominations would have said, well, well, can we throw some water on him? He's got to be baptized or he can't go in. You know, do you have any Sunday school badges you can show us? So this man, full of sin and crime, hanging and knowing he deserves it, has the boldness to say to Jesus, would you remember me? And then Jesus says to him, don't you love this? Today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. My mom, who was uh, 89, died uh, this summer. My dad, who's 92, is still with us, and he's, he's really wrestling with, he wasn't really a man of faith, and now he's really wrestling with, what do I believe, and is it true? And uh, I love to tell him that story about the thief. Dad, look at this guy. Because he'll say to me, now Sandy, is, is mom with Jesus now, or where is she? And will she know me when I get there? And so I said, look what Jesus said, today, the day you die, you are with the Savior. Isn't that sweet? The day you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If it's true for that thief, dear one, it's true for you. So release for Barabbas, release for this thief on the cross from damnation. He now will be in the kingdom on this day with the Savior. Amazing, amazing. But you and I, we're not as bad as Barabbas. Do we really need a substitute for us? I came to Christ at uh, Arizona State. Uh, yeah, there are Christians down there at Arizona State. And I was in a fraternity, and I was the president of the fraternity. And uh, I was in student government, and I was a devil's advocate. I would go around to high schools and tell kids why they should go to ASU. And uh, so I'm doing all these things, trying to fill this this whole that I learned the only thing that could fill it was Jesus himself, but I didn't know that. And so I'm searching through achievement and popularity and activity and nothing's filling it. And so it was a Sunday morning back in uh, 74 when the earth's crust was still hardening. And uh, the, the nerd of the frat came into my room, Jeff Patterson. I mean, Jeff had nothing cool about him, bless his heart. Uh, he was short, always wanted to play pickup basketball, was always the last guy picked. His complexion was awful. It was a pepperoni pizza. 
He drove, he drove his grandfather's Studebaker. You don't even know what that is. It's his old car they don't even make anymore. He drove his grandfather's Studebaker up from Tucson where he grew up. So, I, so you know, he's from Tucson. He's in the marching band. He's, he's drumming on every table at every meal. He's always drumming. And on top of that, he loved Jesus. So he comes into my room, and I'm there sipping 7-Up uh, and eating saltines from too much fraternizing the night before. And uh, he's a biology major, and he starts telling me all the things you do to your body when you over-imbibe. And, you know, you have this many brain cells and liver cells and these cells. These get replaced. You lose these, but you have so many, you probably won't miss it for a while. And normally, I would have just said, Patterson, get out of here. But I kept listening. And then he, he asked me that question, Sandy, if you... If you died today, if you woke up in front of God instead of me, uh, where would you go? And I'd, I'd gone to church. Mom had drug us four boys to church, so uh, I knew the information about Jesus, that he was supposed to be the Son of God, and he died on the cross. But I said, Jeff, I, you know, I'm not the worst guy in this frat. I'm probably a C-, minus, so I'll probably get in. It's got to be a curve, right? It's like my geography class. There's got to be a curve, and I'm a C minus, so I'll get in. There's some, there's some real Fs in here, uh, so I think I'm okay. Well, Jeff goes back to his room. He gets a, a track called the Four Spiritual Laws and takes me through that track, and long story short, I couldn't believe how ripe I was to say, Jesus, you're who I've been looking for all my life, and come in. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was about a C minus. I think a lot of us think, yeah, we're about a C minus. Uh, we don't, we don't really need a substitute. We just need to clean up our act. Jesus, we, I don't need a substitute. I just need some better instructions. I just need some better parents, or a better spouse, or nicer kids, or a better job. If I, if I just had some better people around me, if I had some better circumstances, Jesus, if I had a little more money, so I had a little more leisure time to do uh, righteous things, religious things for you, but I don't know if I need a substitute. See, it's so important, dear one. It's so important that you understand if Christ doesn't take your place on the cross, all is lost for you. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned. Every man, woman, and child has sinned. David wrote in the Psalms, I was conceived in sin. I mean, it's just in my nature. Anybody here that's raised children, uh, their sin nature comes out at two-year-old. I have a little two-year-old granddaughter, Heidi. I just adore Heidi. I used to see those bumper stickers, ask me about my grandparents and my grandkids, and I thought, that's so stupid. And now I'm that guy. So ask me about Heidi and Hannah. But. So Heidi turns two. She learned a word none of us had taught her. Mine. Her mom and dad never taught her mine. We never talked a lot about that's mine. But man, somewhere at two, she learned mine. And there's, she's just bent towards self. So it's all about Heidi. I love her. She's beautiful. I adore her. But, but there's... There's a little sinner in here that's coming out loud and clear. So if it's not mine, it's no. And uh, you just see there's something wrong. There's something broken. And no amount of religious ceremony or reading the Bible or going to church can cure that. It's just in your DNA. You are sinful not only by your actions but by your nature. 
And there's no hope for you. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, you are by nature a child of wrath. Wrath is God's holy, righteous judgment and anger against sin. He has every right to judge. He's holy. He's good. He's pure. He doesn't let anything just slip by. Everything will be judged. The scales will be made right. Isn't that good to know? Those that you've experienced abuse or injustice, no one's getting away with anything in the eyes in the court of God. But that's why you don't want what you deserve. You don't want what you deserve. You want mercy and grace. And that mercy and grace flows through the cross where Jesus says, I will take your place. I will take your place. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that before they made the world, by the way, that's key to the gospel that, you know, God made the world. He didn't just show up and go, wow, look what, look at that just happened. Well, that's right. No, he made it. He created it. He has a purpose. And Ephesians 1 says, before he made the world, the Father and the Son and the Spirit talked about you. You don't believe that. That's just too good. You don't believe that. What if you believe that? What if you believe that you were that known? What if you believe what Jesus, you just, Anthony preached it in John 17, where he says in that great prayer section, John 17, he says to the Father, Father, all those whom you gave me, I've got them. What? So that means we, we are the Father's gift to the Son. So you're no accident. Jesus didn't set up his lemonade stand and wonder if anybody will stop and want to go to heaven. No. Jesus is the hound of heaven. Jesus says in John 15, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I'm coming for you. I know you are known by the Father and the Spirit, and you are mine. Wow. Dare you believe that? What fears would that wash out of your heart if you dared to believe you are that well-known and loved? That's why your prayers matter. That's why he's watching your life. That's why there are angels assigned to you. You were bought with a heavy price, and you have been known before time. And now it all is kind of fuzzy, and life seems random, and why did that guy run the intersection and hit my car? And Why did the tire go flat? And why did my husband get COVID? And why is there a layoff? And your life at times can just feel random and no one's in control. And I'm at the mercy of circumstance and powers I can't do anything about. It's so good to come back to this truth. Oh, you are known. And what you're going through is, is the common experience for saint and sinner alike. But God knows, and Romans 8.28 is at work, because he took your place. He took the full weight, the full bore, the full penalty. I love that, 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'll just tell you, you don't have to look. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, 
to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So he didn't just let you out of jail. He didn't just say, you're free to go. He said, not only are you free to go, but now you are right in the eyes of God for all eternity. When God looks at you, he sees you are right. You are righteous. It's settled. You're in the family. You're an heir. It's ridiculous. Surely you don't believe all of that, do you? The reason I believe this is because the tomb is empty. If they find Jesus' body, then all of this is happy talk on a Hallmark card. But that tomb is empty, and that validates everything that he taught, that this word teaches, and you are that loved. And because he took your place, it's all paid. But make no mistake, if he doesn't take your place, there's no hope for you. I remember... We were living in Southern California. How am I doing okay on time, Anthony? Are we all right? Good. Uh, nobody's left yet. I'm really encouraged by that. Uh, growing up in Southern California, and uh, my, my cousin and my uncle, they came over to visit us. And uh, so we took, uh, my cousin had his older brother Dave, and Dick is my age, and his little brothers. And uh, so we went out to a park, walked to this park, and had some fun, and then we came back. And uh, somehow nobody noticed that my cousin Dick wasn't with us. And so we all come home back into the house, and, hey, you guys have fun? Yeah. And their parents are kind of looking, you know, and Uncle A.C., that was his name. His name was just two initials, A.C. Uncle A.C. said, so uh, where's Dick, guys? Oh, no. So we, they get in the car, and they drive back, and somehow Dick, I don't know, was picking flowers or doing something and chasing a butterfly, but he, he got separated from us and was just wandering around, and we found him. So Uncle A.C. takes big brother Dave, who by default, any oldest child here, any oldest kids? Yeah, you're always in charge, aren't you? That just came with the deal. Then you just knew I'm always in charge. So Uncle A.C. takes Dave into one of the bedrooms. My dad takes me into his bedroom, and we hear David getting corporal punishment, if you know what I mean. And my dad looks at me and goes, you hear what's going on next door? That should be for you. So when you and I look at the cross, and we see what they do to Jesus, Remember, that should be for you. And he voluntarily, courageously, passionately took your place. I love the writer to Hebrews. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? You. You. To ransom you. To release, save, and make righteous you. So, Pilate gives the people a choice. Who do you want? And the crowd says, we want Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. Interesting, if you go back to Psalm 2, don't look there now. Trust me, I'm not making it up. You can check me later. But Psalm 2 begins with, why are the nations in an uproar? Why are they 
planning these vain things to get free from God. And then the nation say, we want to throw the burden of you and serving you. They call them, we want to throw your shackles off of us. We don't want a God over us. We want to be God. And then the psalm breaks into the next stanza and it says, but, but the one in heaven laughs. He scoffs at them. He knows, I've established my king on his holy hill. And then he says to Jesus, it's a messianic prophecy, ask of me and I'll give the nations to you. But the nations don't want him. The nations don't want him. John Stott, uh, wonderful old saint that's with Jesus now. If you can read anything by John Stott, you won't be sorry. Here's what he said about substitution. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. Man doesn't want God. They want to be God. Before you knew Christ, that's what you wanted. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Some guys just can turn a phrase, can't they? The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. Well, the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. You know, there were a lot of people watching that whole scene play out at Pilate's court. It was, the area was called the pavement, and that's where he would sit and give judgments. And uh, there was the crowd that had, you know, blood in their eye, and they wanted Jesus crucified. But there are a lot of other people just watching, just watching, watching Jesus and, and wrestling with, is he who he said? Is he the promised one? Is he the king? And I found church can be like that sometimes, that there are folks coming and you're interested and you're learning, you're listening to the preacher and the word, maybe you're even in a a home group and sharing your life, but you know in your heart you've still kind of got your guard up. You still haven't just said, all right, Jesus, I'm all yours. Today would be a great day to do that. Because until you do that, your sins are on you, not on him. But he would gladly take them all for you if you ask him, and you trust him, and you follow him. Let's pray. I understand that your tradition is to give you some time to just reflect. So I would just invite you, friend, uh, to consider as we're quiet before the Father, uh, do I appreciate the depth of my sin and what it costs Jesus to have me released from that penalty? Have I come to that place in my life where I've said, Jesus, I'm yours. I understand now, and I believe that you took my place that I deserved on that cross. And I thank you, and I want to give you my whole self. I'm yours. Father, you know every heart. You know every story. Minister to us, would you, Holy Spirit, as we consider these great questions. To the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.